When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This place is special. Get asked all the time, where's your favorite place to take college game day? And I say every time, Eugene, Oregon. Yeah. This is the best crowd. Honestly, it's six in the morning here. Yeah. It's dark. It's raining. They don't care. These fans right here, pound for pound, are as good as any college football fans in the country. This program is staged to compete and to win championships. Oregon is going to be in the championship game. When we watch this film, does our effort beat theirs? Here's Bo Nix. Guns it! Touchdown, Oregon! Been making deposits. Time to cash the check. Sound at Austin, which is deafening for an Oregon 15-point win. Chip Kelly still does not have a win against his former school, and we say farewell. Man, it feels great to be a duck. Welcome to the QB11 Show. Presented by Scoop Duck with Doug, Andrew, and J-Hop. Here are the guys with the latest scoop. Hello and welcome into the QB11 show presented by Scoop Duck. I am your host, Doug Scott, and I'm flying solo tonight. Um, wanted to get to a number of things today. We're going to talk about the game versus Cal, of course, and Hudson Stadium this weekend. Also, a lot of other news dropping this week. We have the first CFP rankings. Oregon comes in at number six there. I'll talk about that a little bit and kind of how that plays out going forward. Uh, today, the Big Ten dropped their 2024 schedule, week-by-week uh, week schedule. So now we know uh, partic- specifically which week Oregon will be playing every team on their schedule, as well as all the other teams in the conference, what their schedules look like as well. So I'll get into that just a little bit. And then um, the, the other big thing is there's more filings today in the court case of the uh, two-pack, Oregon State and Washington State, against the Pac-10 conference, um, or Pac-12 conference, sorry. So that there's some more documents that came out today there. I posted about some of that on Twitter today. I might touch on that a little bit if there's more time at the end. And then we have some listener questions I'll probably get to as well. So a lot to get through. Let's start with the CFP rankings. So committee released their first rankings. This one was very interesting. It's one of the more interesting rankings I've seen so far um, from any committee since this started all 10 years ago. Um, Really for the first time that I can remember, the rankings proceeded in basically record order, right? So the first five teams, one through five, are all power five teams that have no losses. And then the next set of teams, um, six through 13 are all power five teams that have one loss and then 14 through 23 are all power five teams that have two losses and then 24 and 25 are the two group of five teams uh tulane who's undefeated and air force who has one loss so uh that was very neat and tidy and interesting and certainly don't expect it to continue to play out this this way for the next five weeks but it was an interesting way to start the ranking 
Ohio State came in at number one. I think a lot of people expected that, you know, kind of resume wise, they they probably have the best resume with those wins over uh, Notre Dame and, of course, um, Penn State. So they got kind of those two big wins there. Georgia comes in at number two, have kind of been up and down the season from a performance wise, hasn't really played any good team of note, but has been more dominant lately. Michigan also has been dominant basically every game this season, has not played any significant team either. And then Florida State comes in at number four, who has obviously the LSU victory early game one of the year, and then the Clemson win later, which obviously doesn't look nearly as good now as Clemson is is just four and four on the year. But I thought the interesting thing here is the committee seems to have ranked Ohio State and Florida, Ohio State number one based on resume, but not necessarily how dominant they've been because they really haven't been. But then they put Georgia and Michigan both ahead of Florida State, which has a better resume. Uh, so I thought that it seems to be a little bit of, uh, you know, um, a little bit not hypocritical, but it's, you know, inconsistent, inconsistent there. Um, but this will all work itself out as we go forward. Washington comes in at number five, the the power five unbeaten that did not make it into the top five. Of course, if they win out, they'll they'll make it because George, you know, if Michigan and Ohio State both have to play each other, one of them will lose. So you're not going to see a thirteen and zero power five team get left out. So they don't really have anything to worry about. And then Oregon comes in as the top rated one loss team at number six, um, and then Texas just behind them at seven. Obviously, two spots ahead of. Oklahoma, who they lost to, but one spot ahead of Alabama, who they beat. So I think that's probably, I know Oklahoma fans are like, well, we should be out of Texas. The problem is if you put them out of Texas, then that means you have to drop Alabama back a whole other spot too. Because if, you, if you want to respect the head-to-head, you'd have to go Oklahoma, Texas, Alabama. But it, it seems to be a little bit of a mix of respecting the head-to-head as well as kind of looking at teams and things like who you actually think is better. So there seems to again be some inconsistency here among among the uh, the committee with these first set of rankings. But again, it'll it'll play out over time. I kind of went through and and listed teams that I think clearly control their own destiny and teams that need help. And I kind of do this. I've been doing this every year. Gosh, probably for ten years now, going back to the very first um, playoff committee rankings. But really, just talking about which are teams that don't need help at all. And if they win out, they will get in and which are teams that might need some help. And so when I look at this ranking, I, I look at the teams that control their own destiny. Number one, Ohio state, obviously they went out, they go 13 and zero, they're in number two, Georgia, obviously they went out, they go 13 and same thing with Michigan. Number three went out, go 13 and zero, they're in now, of course, Ohio state and Michigan both can't win out and go 13 and zero and control their own destiny, right? So the loser of that game obviously will potentially no longer control their own destiny. They won't they won't have a conference title, most likely. They won't go to the conference title game, and they'll be at the mercy of needing losses from other other conference power five conference champions to be able to get into the uh, the top four. So those are the first three obviously control their own destiny. Florida State, again another one. Uh, I know they're only ranked fourth, but they are a Power Five program. They are undefeated. If they go thirteen and zero and win out, I I can't fathom a scenario where they won't get in. Right? They may only get in at number four, but they're not gonna they're not gonna get left out because again, worst case scenario is you have an undefeated Big Ten, an undefeated SEC, an undefeated Pac twelve, and an undefeated ACC. Well, they're all gonna get in in that case. 
a 13 and 0 power five team is not going to get left out. And right now you can't have five 13 and 0 power five teams. So uh, you can only have four at the most. So all, all, and then of course, Washington, of course, by the same measure controls their own destiny that those five all control their own destiny. Oregon is another team that I believe controls their own destiny because again, if they win out, that means they will run the table. They will play somebody in the Pac-12 title game. That means most likely Washington or if Washington doesn't make it to the Pac-12 title game, that means Washington will have lost once or twice and they will fall down this list. And Oregon will then be a 12-1 and um, Pac-12 champion with, at most, three other Power 5 champions ahead of them that are either undefeated or one less teams, right? The Big Ten champ, the SEC champ, if it's Georgia, and um, and Florida State potentially. So there, there, there would be the only scenario where they would potentially be at risk here is if Texas also wins out, right? And let's say let's say you have the Ohio State, Michigan winner, Georgia, and Florida State are all in the top four, and then you have a twelve and one Oregon and a twelve and one Texas sitting there vying for that last spot. Well, here's why I believe Oregon controls their own destiny in this scenario, and Texas does not. Right now, the committee has Oregon ranked ahead of Texas, and if you look at the schedules coming down the the rest of the season. Oregon has a much tougher schedule. They are going to pay play a stronger slate of teams to get to that re- to get to that record, right? If they're if Oregon wins five more games, it means they're going to beat um, they're going to beat a, a USC team who's currently ranked in the in the top twenty. They're going to beat an Oregon State team who's currently ranked in the top twenty. They're going to beat somebody in the Pac twelve title game, whether that's Washington or USC or Oregon State or Utah. That's that's currently ranked in the top twenty, right? So that's three more ranked wins that Oregon would get along their way to get to that um, to get to that 12 and one status now conversely Texas doesn't have that same opportunity right um, they do have they do have a, a dangerous Kansas State team who's ranked number 23 this weekend so that's that's a good one but then really as they look through the rest of their schedule it's really just who are they going to play in the big 12 title game and that resume is that resume going to be enough to vault them past? an Oregon who already is ranked ahead of them and has a tougher upcoming slate. I don't think so. So that's why I have Oregon state as a team that controls its own destiny and Texas is not. Um, So who else controls their own destiny? Well, now you got to skip past Texas and Oklahoma both because for the same reasons that Texas doesn't Oklahoma doesn't. Um, Again, you let's look at it another way. Let's just say you end up with four power five undefeateds. Well, right there, Texas and Oklahoma do not control their own destiny. A 12 and one Texas or 12 one Oklahoma is not going to get in over any 13 and 0 power five champion. And the, the very fact that there are five possible or sorry, four possible power five champions that can go 13 and 0 tells you right there that neither Texas or Oklahoma controls their own destiny. Oregon is different because the only way Oregon gets in to the to win the conferences by taking out or someone else taking out Washington as the potential fourth power five champion. So Oregon can't get to 12 and one unless Washington falls out of the ranks of the unbeaten. So that's different than what Texas and Texas and Oklahoma could get to 12 and one and Washington could still be 13 and out. So that's why they don't have control of their own fate. Now, Alabama, they definitely control their own destiny. They have one loss right now. And if they win out, they beat LSU, they beat everyone else on their schedule. They get to Atlanta and they beat Georgia. They're definitely in without a doubt. Number 10, Ole Miss, same scenario. They have one loss. They can win out. They can go beat uh, everybody else on their schedule. They can beat LSU. They can beat Georgia. They can go to 12 and one. They will definitely get in 
Same thing with Missouri at number 12. They are sitting there with one loss. They played Georgia this weekend. They win that game. If they keep winning, they're going to win the SEC East. They're going to win the, uh, the SEC and whoever they play in that title game. They get to 12-1. and one. They're in, no doubt. Those teams all control their own destiny. So one Ohio State, two Georgia, three Michigan, four Florida State, five Washington, six Oregon, eight Alabama, 10 Ole Miss, 12 Missouri, I believe, all control their own destiny in getting into the playoffs. So that's a nine total teams in that category. And then I have really three more playoff contenders that would need help. Um, Texas, Oklahoma, I've previously talked about them. They need on they need at least one unbeaten to fall. Um, whether that's that's a Washington or a Florida State or a Big Ten champ or or probably you know, they probably need a Florida State or a Washington to fall, right? Because I don't think – or they need Alabama to – Texas would need Alabama to run the table, right? If Alabama gets a 12-1 and one and Texas is a 12-1, and one, that head-to-head is going to come into play if they're both conference champions at 12-1. and one. Oklahoma probably needs a little more help. They're going to need – they're going to need one or two of those uh, those other 12-1. and one. I don't know that Oklahoma would win a beauty contest even with a 12-1 and one Oregon or a 12-1 and one Washington, right? So they're going to probably need, you know, multiple levels of help. Penn State – the path for Penn State is how do we even get back to the to the Big Ten title game, let alone winning it, let alone get picked for the top four. I think they have a chance. They obviously only have one loss, but they probably need some help just getting to the Big Ten title game, let alone winning it and, and getting picked over somebody else in the resume battle. Louisville. Louisville has a path. I didn't list them. They're a team that would need help. They can run the table, get to 12-1, and one, but the problem they have is they're just not going to have the quality resume. They're, they played they they played a, a pretty weak schedule this year. Obviously, they got the win over Notre Dame, which is nice. But and they would have a win over Florida State in that scenario. But there are they're ranked thirteenth. Like how many of these other one loss teams are they going to jump in that scenario where it's a beauty contest? If you're looking at a twelve and one Louisville versus a twelve and one Oregon or a twelve and one Washington or a twelve and one Texas or a twelve and one Oklahoma, I just it. it it seems like they would need a lot of chaos. I think they're going to need they're going to need multiple. They're going to need two lost conference champions. I think to win that the ACC is really not perceived very well. It's clear by the fact that they have Florida State ranked all the way down at number four. The fact that Louisville's all the way down at number thirteen. The ACC just not has a good reputation with the committee. I think Louisville's going to need some two lost conference champions for them to get into that top four. Some people say LSU has a path if they win out. As a two-loss SEC champion, I don't know. There's never been a two-loss champ. Uh, there's never been a two-loss playoff team. Does LSU, could LSU become the first if they win out, beat Bama, beat Georgia? Maybe. Maybe. But are you going to take a two-loss LSU over a one-loss Oregon or a one-loss Texas who beat Alabama also? Or a, I, I just, it, It's the SEC, so I guess if it's if there's ever a time where a two-loss team is going to make it, it's going to be a two-loss SEC champ. But I still think they need help. I think if you're sitting there with a scenario where you've got a you've got a Big Ten champ who's in, let's say you've got an undefeated Florida State who's in, let's say you've got an Oregon or a Washington who runs a table and gets in, and then you're sitting there staring at a a twelve and one Texas versus a an 11 and two LSU and both teams will have beaten Alabama. Are you really going to jump LSU over Texas in that scenario? I don't think so. I don't see that happening. So I think LSU does need help. I disagree with the people who, who don't think they do, but I don't know. I could be wrong. 
we'll see how that plays out. So obviously for Oregon, they're right where they need to be. The rankings don't matter. The only thing that matters is win or lose, right? Week to week to week. They got to beat Cal. They got to beat USC. If they lose any one of these games, they're not going to be in the playoff. They're not going to be in the playoffs with two losses. And quite frankly, they're going to have a hard time getting to Vegas with two losses because um, then they would need help just to get to Vegas. So for the story for Oregon, just win, just win one week at a time. And then the rest of this will take care of itself. Obviously, um, you know, Georgia, Michigan, or Ohio State will fall behind it with a loss. And if Oregon wins out, that means Washington has not. And therefore, there you go. You're in the top four. So that's all you need. Okay. Next subject. Let's go to the Big Ten conference schedule for 2024. This is pretty cool. So good and bad here. There's good and bad, right? We knew the teams that Oregon was going to play in 2024. We didn't know the which week, which team was going to be on. Um, obviously, the other weird thing about 20, there's two weird things about 2024 for Oregon and for the nation at large. So one thing for Oregon is they have 13 games, which is unusual, right? They're making a road trip to Hawaii, uh, and that's what gives them the right to hold an extra home game to make up that revenue expense for traveling to Hawaii. And Oregon is, is exercising that right. So they have 13 games this year. The other thing that's weird about 2024, and this is weird for every team in the country, is that there is an extra week because of the fact that Labor Day falls so early in the calendar and Thanksgiving falls so late in the calendar. There is an extra week of the season. This happens every five or six years. And in those years, there's two buys. So everybody in the country has two buys this year. Um, And this is where the bad is in the schedule for Oregon. The Big Ten really stuck them with really the worst possible buy situation you could have. So they got the earliest buy of any Big Ten team. And there's not the only ones, right? So Indiana, Maryland, Michigan State, Ohio State, Oregon, Penn State, about half the conference got the week four buy. So you're talking, you got a buy on September 21st. For most of those schools, it's going to be after they have played three games. They're going to play three out-of-conference games, and then they get a buy. In Oregon's case, they're going to have played four games because they have that week zero game with Hawaii. So they'll have Hawaii, then Idaho at home. They go to Hawaii, Idaho at home. Then they got Texas Tech at home. And then they got Boise State at home. And then they get a bye. That's not so bad. I mean, you'd like to have that bye maybe a week, maybe two weeks later. Um, but it is still after four games. So and you, since you have a second bye coming later, it, it's not it's not the end of the world maybe would have liked it to be one week later. So then Oregon will open up conference play in LA at the Rose Bowl against the Bruins on the 28th of September. Don't really have a problem with this. You know, my only maybe issue here is Oregon has four Big Ten road games. They go to UCLA, to Purdue, to Michigan, to Wisconsin. Maybe you would have liked to have seen one of those Eastern trips here first right instead of having your your local your closest road trip first and then three longer ones later maybe you would have liked to have one of those first kind of mix it up a little bit um but but they go down to ucla and then they play their next two weeks at home first they play michigan state at home and then they stay home and they host ohio state the following week um neither of those teams has a bye before they play oregon so and oregon doesn't have a bye obviously at first either so I, I can't really complain about this too much. Okay, UCLA, they're a good team. That'll be a tough road game uh, in LA. I mean, not, not the environment, but, you know, I think UCLA is a, a decent team. Obviously, they're going to be bringing some pieces back. Michigan State, they're a mess. We don't know who's going to be coaching them. We don't know who's going to be on the team. That should be, you would hope that would be a fairly winnable game at home. And then you host Ohio State the next week. So, 
that's a good little, you know, you kind of look at what we've talked about with Oregon's 2023 schedule, right? As we, as we saw that come out, you're like, okay, you got hard game, easier game, hard game, easier game, hard game, easier game. So the way that that kind of UCLA, Michigan state, Ohio state um, grouping runs, you kind of see that same thing, right? Like, yeah, road tough, yeah, semi-tough road game at UCLA, then an easier game hosting Michigan State, then the really tough game hosting Ohio State. Um, now, here's the, here's the challenge. Because Oregon's next bye isn't until November 23rd, week 13, they have a bye before their final game of the year. That means Oregon, the only team in the Big Ten where this is true, Oregon plays eight straight conference games, starting with UCLA and running, running through um, – through mid-November, that's a tough that's a tough schedule for for Oregon here. So they uh, after the Ohio State game, they go on, back on the road. They go to Purdue, then they host Illinois. Okay, those are two games you got to win, right? You got to you got to look at those as two opportunities. No matter what happens against Ohio State, you look at those as those two games that you got to take advantage of. Now you're back on the road, November second. You're back on the road. You're at the Big House at Michigan. Take on the Wolverines. Um, Obviously, tough place to play. Really good team. That's why you need those those Purdue and Illinois games. So again, it's nice, right? You got UCLA, then you got a little bit of easier game with Michigan State, then you got Ohio State, then you got a couple of two easier games with Purdue and Illinois. Now that's not going to give you these games. You got to go take them, but you know it gives you a little bit of a buffer. And then you got that Michigan trip. Then you're back at home. You play in Maryland on the 9th of November. Maryland's a okay team they're a competitive team they're losing a lot they're losing their quarterback some other things that's a game you'd like to think you'd win at home and then you travel to wisconsin november 16th it's gonna be cold might be snowy it's that michigan maryland wisconsin that's a that's a that's a decently tough trio there you know you'd, you'd like to think you split the the michigan and wisconsin road games and you take care of maryland at home you get two out of three in that stretch you got to feel pretty good then you get that by and then you host Washington in the uh, whatever the heck the name of that game is going to be. We need a name. We'll host Washington the last week of the season on November 30th and then uh, see where the chips fall. So the good about the schedule is you got the you got the buffering, right? You don't have those two or three games back to back to back where it's just brutal. You've got a nice buffer of good teams, not as good teams, good teams, not as good teams. It gives you a nice little buffering there. Obviously, the key stretch to me is that that Michigan, Maryland, Wisconsin, um, you know, trio there kind of mid to late in the year. Um, looking over at what some of the other packed former Pac-12 teams have, uh, let's look at Washington. So Washington, um, they're still looking for a third out of conference game. They don't, we'll see if that gets set up with Washington State or something, but um, they play Weber State and some other G5 team early. I uh, don't remember who it was. But then they start. They open the season one week earlier than Oregon. They they start hosting Northwestern. Then they go to Rutgers, uh, and then they host Michigan. So again, they kind of get eased into the Big Ten schedule. Obviously, Northwestern at home. That's one of the worst teams in the conference. Rutgers has been a much better team this year. That's a long road trip. You know, I think it's probably the longest road trip in the conference for for Washington and Rutgers to play. So there is that consideration. And then they host Michigan, which is obviously going to be a really tough game. Now here's the interesting part. Then they go on the road to Kinnick Stadium in Iowa. That is a sneaky tough place to play. And Iowa is a is a really physical football team. They have um, you know great fan base, obviously there at home. So that Michigan Ohio, Michigan Iowa back to back, 
that's not easy. Michigan home, great. Iowa on the road, right? You'd much rather see that the other way around, right? Because at least there's the other round you think you can split those. This is this is a two-game stretch that they could lose both, especially with all the turnover they're going to have this offseason. That's that's not uh, not a crazy notion that, that both of those games get lost. And they get their first buy. So it's a nicely placed buy here. Washington did much better here. They got a buy on, on October 19th, and that's basically – Seven games, they'll have played seven games, they'll have five less. So nice little buy there. Then they go to Indiana, host USC, to Penn State, host UCLA. Again, not a, there's not some good buffering here, right? Indiana, okay, great. It's still on the road, though. And then they got USC, Penn State, UCLA, with the Penn State game being on the road. That's a, that's a tough little three-game stretch. Those are all three quality teams. Then they get a buy, then they play at Oregon to end the season. So... Um, you know, some, there's some challenges in this schedule. You get that, that Rutgers, Michigan, Iowa stretch early in the, in the conference season. And then you got that USC, Penn state, UCLA stretch late in the conference season. So, um, we'll watch that UCLA. They open the conference season a week early in week three, actually, um, playing Indi- hosting Indiana. Then they get their first buy of the year, so they kind of have a, uh, an early buy as well. Then they go uh, host Oregon to Penn State, host Minnesota to Rutgers. So, again, they've got two back-to-back tough games with Oregon and and Penn State, and Minnesota you know, is a team that, that can challenge defensively at least. And then that Rutgers road trip again. Then they get their second buy of the year, and then they come back and they host Nebraska. So they travel to Nebraska, host Iowa, Travel to Washington, host USC. That's brutal. That is a brutal four-game stretch. And then they end with Fresno State, by the way. But that's a brutal four-game stretch in November for UCLA. At Nebraska, Iowa at home, at Washington, USC at home. Brutal. Brutal ending for UCLA there. Uh, Let's look at the Trojans, finally. Um, They open their conference season on the 21st of September. They travel to Michigan. So obviously that's going to be a big, big time game. USC at Michigan, blue blood on blue blood. And uh, that's not going to be an easy trip for USC. Then they come home and host Wisconsin. So no rest for the weary. Then they go travel on the road to Minnesota. Come home, host Penn State. Man, that's a tough stretch for USC to open Big Ten play at Michigan host Wisconsin, at Minnesota, host Penn State. Boom, 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 boom. But no rest, because they've got three more before a bye. <laughs> so they're like Oregon. They don't get, they got a seven straight, unlike Oregon's eight. Still a lot. They go back on the road all the way across the country to Maryland, then home to play Rutgers, then back on the road to Washington. That completes their seven-game stretch. Four road games, three home games, back and forth. Back And those three road games are Wisconsin, Penn State, Rutgers. So... That's a tough seven-game stretch for USC. Michigan at home, travel to Wisconsin. Sorry, travel to Michigan, Wisconsin at home, travel to Minnesota, Penn State at home, travel to Maryland, Rutgers at home, then travel up to Washington. Then they get their then they get another bye, uh, which they'll need by that point. And then they host Nebraska, and up and coming team, and then go back, then go on the road to across town to UCLA, and then finally finish it up hosting Notre Dame. Man, that's a tough schedule for USC. That's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy the way that lays out. Um, so if you look at those four pack teams, I mean, as much as I complain about Oregon not getting a bye in the middle of their games, right? They got the early bye and the late bye. 
Oregon's got buffering. They got buffering in this whole slate. They don't have two top half teams back to back at any single time during the year. When you look at UCLA, you look at USC, you look at Washington, they don't have that buffering. They've got these tough stretches. So all things being equal, I can't really complain too much if you're if you're Oregon. You got some great home games to go watch. You got some great road trips if you want to, you know, go avail yourselves of going down to LA or Michigan or Wisconsin. Um, and and you've got buffering between all your games, so can't complain. I think Oregon will um, will be looking to to make a playoff run next year, right? Just like you're trying to make one this year, you're into twelve team playoff next year. You got thirteen games. I think the schedule sets up where if Oregon can get the quarterback situation figured out and and you know and, and play the way they've been playing, like this is a team that can go. 10 and 3, 11 and 2, and, and make it into the playoffs. Absolutely, especially with the schedule. I think the schedule sets up nice. So, more on that. We'll talk more about down the road. Um, real quick before we get to the games, uh, some, some more filings came out today in the, the Pac 2 versus Big 10 case. So, basically, I tweeted all about this stuff. Uh, some interesting to see some some other some information from the other side coming out. The, the stuff coming from Washington, they filed their first um, briefs in this case. And there's some new information in there that I think is pretty enlightening. Um, and some stuff from the conference as well, which, I mean, for one, uh, it there, there definitely doesn't seem to be as clearly uh, a case of precedent having been set that, that other schools were excluded or just kicked off the board. Uh, what Washington said, who, by the way, Washington's president was the board chairman for the, basically the entirety of the time between when UCLA and USC left the conference until till this past summer when the conference imploded. She was the chairman of the board of the Pac-12. So she would have as much or better insight into all these goings on as anyone. And and she basically said, um, you know, the, that the board may never kicked anyone off. Um, and, and the board is the only entity that has the authority to make that decision. Now the conference commissioner was of the opinion and wrote these letters that these schools, UCLA and USC specifically had been kicked off the board by virtue of violating that bylaw. However, those schools, as has been previously documented, immediately disputed that. They immediately disputed, hey, we're not kicked off the board. We didn't violate this bylaw. We haven't left the conference. We're going to leave the conference later after the end of the GOR, but we haven't left the conference before the end of the GOR. We should still be on it. Now, the only authority to rule on that dispute is not the commissioner, is not the conference office. It's the board itself. The board itself is the entity that gets to decide whether the bylaws were violated or not violated. That's not the job of the commissioner or his legal team or anyone at the conference office. They do not buy the bylaws themselves. They don't have the authority to adjudicate the bylaws. Only the board has that authority. So USC and UCLA immediately disputed this. They exchanged a bunch of legalese with the conference. The conference said, you're off. They said, no, we're not. They all said, save all your correspondence because we might have to argue this in court later. And then the board itself never heard the dispute. They never took it up. They never heard arguments on why the two schools should be off the board or why they shouldn't. It literally was never, never decided. And because it it just became a moot point because the only thing the board was meeting about was how we're going to survive. How are we going to get a new media deal? 
How are we going to keep this conference going? Are we going to expand? Are we not going to expand? Those were the entirety of the board meetings. And so there was USC and UCLA said, yeah, we shouldn't be involved in that. It has nothing to do with us. We'll sit out, but we're still on the board. And the rest of the board said, yeah, this is all the only thing we have to talk about. So, you know, whatever, maybe you're still on the board. We don't, you know, we never, they never talked about it. They never talked about whether UCLA and USC were on the board or not. So they never adjudicated that. That dispute was never resolved. So therefore there is no precedence. There is no precedence. It was never resolved. The other interesting thing that uh, came of this is it seems to have been made clear that the Pac-12 is not trying to, the, the sorry, the departing 10 schools are saying like, hey, we're going to stay in Washington State. They've got all the NCA credits. They've got this, their CFP money coming. They've got this Rose Bowl settlement money coming. They've got other assets and revenues that are in excess of $100 million a year coming to them in 2025, 2024 and 2025. That's their money. We don't even want it. We just want to make sure we get our fair share of the 20 of the current year money that we're earning. And they're they're saying, hey, we're worried if you give control of the board to Oregon State and Washington State, that they're going to try to say, claim some of this money to help them rebuild the conference. And that's that's what we object to. That's what we want to make sure we're protecting. And so I don't know. Who's 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 acting and who's you know who's trying to be vindictive? Who's not trying to be vindictive? Who's just trying to like make sure they get their fair share? Maybe all maybe everybody is. I think this stuff is often, especially online, is oversimplified and boiled down to sound bites and 144 characters, and and everyone's got their own kind of bias and slant to it. But I mean, it seems to me the ten should all 12 should get their fair share of current year money that they all helped earn that nobody's leaving early. And then whatever's left should go to the other two. And that seems to be the position that, that the conference and, and Washington on behalf of the other 10 teams is taking. So what's going on? Is that not good enough for Oregon state and Washington state? Do they want to be punitive? Do they want to be vindictive and try to take some of this year money? The other thing that was interesting about that is, is in the Washington filing, they said that it, after USC and UCLA left, as there was a conversation among the remaining board members that said, hey, we could take some of their revenue for this season, this year. We could take it as like damages to use us to help, you know, carry forward the conference. Well, there was a discussion and no one on the board wanted to do that, including Oregon State and Washington State. They didn't want to take any of USC or UCLA's current year money. Nobody did. So there was no vote. Nobody proposed it. It was discussed as an option. Everyone said, nope, we're good. Everyone should get their fair share of this year money. And we'll just take the rest for future years for, at the time, us 10 schools to rebuild. So it's interesting now if that has changed. If the two schools are going to make a claim on this year money, that's a departure from what those two schools thought and believed and said in board meetings six months, eight months, nine months ago. Um, so some, it'll be interesting to see that play out. There's still a chance for them to settle. I think that still makes the most sense. We'll see what happens if they go to if this court case continues. And by the way, if this court case happens on the 14th, the other thing that was in the Washington filing is they will be appealed to the Washington Supreme Court. It will be. They already said it. They said if if you give you know if you basically said if you you know if you if you f- rule in favor of the two schools. We need you to stay your ruling so they can't do any damages to us while we appeal this to the Supreme Court. That makes the most sense, right? And the argument from the conference is basically like, look, the status quo is working. The TRO is in place. Nobody can hurt anybody. 
We're able to run the conference as is for this school year. We've been able to get unanimous consent on three, four, five different items that everyone agrees needs to be resolved. We could continue running this way, but if but so, you don't need to 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 grant the injunction and put the two schools in charge. Potentially do damages before this case gets heard out. So we'll see how this all plays out. All right, let's get to the game. Let's get to the weeks. Oregon's obviously playing Cal this week um, at home at Austin Stadium. It looks like it's going to be pretty rainy, going to be pretty wet. Um, Cal on the year, I believe, has one and four in conference play and two and two and six on the season, three and five. Sad that I don't know, but I know they're one and four in conference play. And it's interesting because some people have said this year, and I will agree this year, that what's interesting about Cal is their their team has kind of completely flip-flopped. So for the last five, six, seven years, most of Justin Wilcox, they're three and five overall. Most of Justin Wilcox's tenure overall, they have been a team that has been good to to above average or above average to good on defense for most of his tenure, but absolutely terrible on offense. Um, and what's interesting is they've kind of flipped, flipped the script a little bit this year. They're actually pretty, pretty darn bad on defense. Um, they gave up 59 to Washington, 20, 21 to Arizona state four fifty-two to Oregon state 34 to Utah. And we know what Utah's offense looks like 50 to USC, obviously. So they're, they're not very good defensively. I think most of their metrics would also say the same. Um, but however, they have been much better offensively this year, um, particularly of late. They scored um, 49 in that loss to USC. They scored 40 in the loss to Oregon State. They scored 32 in the loss to Washington. So there's a lot of talk. <laughs> Heard a lot of talk this week about, oh, their offense is dangerous. It's explosive. It's good. You got to watch out for it. And look, yes, they can put up some points um, and given the opportunity. But I would note that those teams that they're scoring a lot of points against, those don't have those teams don't have good defenses. They don't. Like Washington's defense is okay. It's above average. It did really well in the game against us comparatively to what they their metrics are on the season. But overall, their their Washington's defense is is good but not great. USC's defense, we know, it's terrible. Oregon State's defense, good but not great, right? So, yeah, Cal has put up some points on some bad defenses, but look when they play good defenses, right? They played um, – Arizona State has a good defense. They only put up 24 on Arizona State. Uh, Utah has a good defense. They only put up 14 on Utah, right? So these teams with good defenses, Cal's not scoring a lot on it. And it, the other thing is Cal's raw numbers look good because they play at a really high pace. I think they're the, the second – the second highest tempo team in the conference, maybe the first, and also one of the one of the higher conference, higher tempo uh, teams in the country. So that's where again you, you you've got to stop looking at per game stats. You got to stop looking at just volume stats, right? Because they don't tell the whole story. That's why I would say you don't look at total yards. Don't look at yards per game when you're talking about ranking teams. Hate that. You got to look at yards per play. You got to look at efficiency metrics. You got to look at yard, you know, points per drive, these kind of things, right? And when you do that, what you see is that Washington's offense is not nearly as good as you think. It's very average. In fact, it might be slightly below average when you look at it on the whole. And I, I tweeted out some stats about this the other day. So, you know, look at your advanced metric systems, right? SP plus, FEI, F plus. 
you know, the in these in these metrics, Cal's offense is 58th, 53rd, 54th in the country, dead middle, right? Actually, slightly above the middle, but these are not. This is not. This, Oregon is all like fifth, and third, fourth in these rankings, right? Cal's offense is average. Points per drive, 48th. Yeah, they put up a lot of points in some games. It's because they have a lot of drives, because they play fast. And their defense is bad, so they give up scores fast. So they have more possessions. Look at points per possession, points per drive. Yards per play, 79th. 79th. Um, In the Pac-12, they rank 8th in yards per play, 12th in yards per passing attempt, 5th in yards per carry. It's average. It's Average to below average. Completion percentage, ninth. QB rating, 10th. Third down conversion rate, ninth. Red zone touchdown rate, 12th. 12th in the conference. This offense is not great. Don't let people fool you into thinking this is a good offense. It's not. Now, that said, they can score. They've got guys, you know, Jaden Knott can play. He He's a guy that can, if he plays, obviously, he's one of the better running backs in this country or in, in this in this conference. So they do have good players, and their their new quarterback that they've been playing, Mendoza, he's he's a decent player. Um, but look, Oregon's a top six team in this country, and Cal is three and five, and they're one and four in conference. Like, let's not fool ourselves. Let's not play this game where we're going to act like this is a game and it's going to be competitive, and we should be scared of them. No, if Oregon plays to their standard, this game will be over in the third quarter. Now, it's going to be rainy. It's going to be wet. That's probably going to affect the game some. And I get that. Um, but, I mean, Oregon just needs to play their game, right? You just need to come out, do what you do on offense, be balanced, run the ball, pass the ball, um, you know, score your points, and then defensively play like you have. Play like you've been. You play like you played against Utah. Hell, you play half as well as you played defensively against Utah. You're going you're gonna to win this game easily. So, you know, I don't. I don't have a lot to say about Cal. I don't. You know, I've watched probably half their games this year. Um, you know, it, it's nice to see them actually playing with with some offense that can do something, unlike what what we saw for so many years when they were just a, a disgrace to college football offensive off, offenses. Um, but they're a team that Oregon's defense should be able to handle. They're going to try to run the ball. Uh, Mendoza, their quarter. Their quarterback, you know, 63% completion, 650 yards, six touchdowns, three interceptions. I mean, he's he's kind of taken over more recently. So he's definitely been playing better than their previous quarterbacks. They've actually played three quarterbacks this year. Um, and he's probably been the best of the three of them. But he's, he's a very average quarterback as well. Again, there's three interceptions. This is a guy you should be able to debate into making some mistakes similar to what you did last week with um, with the Big Farmer. So Cal's going to push on the running game. Obviously, it's led by Jaden Knott. He's got 750 yards on, on the year at six yards per carry, eight touchdowns. About 75% of that production has come against bad defenses. He hasn't been nearly as effective against the better defenses he's played. Still a dangerous runner. Oregon still has to account for them. Oregon's had times this year where they've been they've been susceptible to the running game, so they've got to clean that up. they got to do probably something similar to what they did. If they play like they, you know, they did with Utah – uh, they should be able to take care of that. You have to watch out for Cal's tempo, right? You know, you know, you got to be ready. You got to get your signs in early. You got your signals in early. You got to get lined up. You got to be ready to go. They can catch you off guard with some tempo stuff. So you're going to have to avoid that. Luckily, you're playing at home. It's going to make it a little easier. Most likely, the crowd can get loud, kind of disrupt some of what Cal's trying to do tempo wise as well. Um, 
so that's kind of the gist of it. Um, you know, Jeremiah Hunter is their leading receiver. He's got 38 catches, 429 yards, four touchdowns. Uh, he definitely um, more of a possession receiver. It doesn't, you know, his his uh, his average per catch. Actually, Cows throws the ball short in general. They don't really throw the ball deep a whole lot. They, they kind of rely on a lot of quick short passes, a lot of screens, a lot of RPOs. They RPO, RPO, RPO. They, they, they constantly. So I think that's another thing. Uh, Taj Davis, the, the Washington receiver, you know, we all remember him from last year. He's he's had a pretty good season for Cal as well. But really, just gonna have to line up. You're gonna have to play disciplined football. Stay on your assignment. Um, you know, and and you know, avoid getting avoid getting taken out of your assignment by the RPO game. And I think if you could do that, you could control uh, control Cal's offense enough to win this game pretty handily. Uh, perhaps generate a turnover or two. And I think conversing this side of the ball. Um, you know, you just gotta you gotta avoid the turnovers yourself, right? It's gonna be rainy, it's gonna be wet, the ball's gonna be wet. You know, you gotta you gotta you know keep it keep it secure. Don't put it in harm's way. Um, Cal's only eleven sacks on the air, so they don't really rush the passer very well. Obviously, Oregon is one of the better teams in the country at preventing sacks, so I think that that bodes well for the passing game for Oregon. I don't see. I'll see a lot of opportunity for Cal to do damage against Oregon in that way. So, again, it just really comes down to execution. I mean, if Oregon comes out and executes and plays like they should play, it really shouldn't be that big of a challenge for them to win this game. And, you know, this is the next game for Oregon, right? You're at home. You're against Cal. You're an overmatched team. You know, it's Oregon versus Oregon. It really is. Come out. Hell, play your B plus game. Not that Dan's going to want that, right? But like, you don't need your A your A game to win this game. You come out, you play a strong game on both sides of the ball. You put them away early, get your backups in, and then get ready for next week. Um, let's go. Okay, so this game, Oregon is a twenty four point favorite in this one. Look, I think Oregon's going to win this game. I think Oregon's going to win this game easily. However, twenty four is a lot of points. It's going to be rainy. It's going to be wet. I, I think I, I think I'm going to take Cal to cover. I think Oregon wins this game by 20, 21, something like that. But 24 is a lot in the weather conditions, so I think I'm going to take Cal to cover. But Oregon wins very, very easily. All right, let's move on. We've got Washington, big game of the week. Washington down at USC, um, playing in the Coliseum. Now, this game is interesting because USC – controls its own destiny in the Pac-12. I know everybody's written USC off. Everyone's kind of forgotten about them. They do have two losses, but one's a non-conference loss. Notre Dame, they're out of the playoff race. Absolutely. They're not out of the Pac-12 title race. They're not out of the New York Six race. <clears throat> if USC wins out, they're in Vegas. 100%. Um, so this game's huge for them. You know, A lot on the line here. And, of course, Washington... Struggled the last two weeks. They struggled at home against Arizona. Didn't score an offensive touchdown. Struggled to put Stanford away last week before Stanford dropped the fourth down and Washington put the insurance touchdown in there. So if Washington comes and plays a game similar to what they played the last two weeks, they're going to lose. They're going to lose this one in the Coliseum. Now, that said, I don't necessarily expect that. I think Washington knows this is a big game, similar to the Oregon game. They're going to get up for it. They're going to be ready to play. I think it's going to be a shootout. The over-under in this game is like 76 points. I think there's going to be more. I'm going to take the over. I think this game is going to be like that Cal-USC game last week. It's going to be 50-49. to 49. It's going to be 42-40. to 40. I, You know, turnovers can make a difference. Who can get – who can get – if they if USC can get to Penix, 
then I think that's a real key for USC because Penix has not been good under pressure this year. He's actually under pressure. He's under 40, under 50% completion rate, 47%. Um, if you can get to, if they can pressure him and cause him all kinds of havoc. And I think that's how they can get some stops on defense because defensively they're not very good as we know. And if they let Penix sit back there and pick them apart, they're not going to get very many stops. They get to Penix, they can get enough pressures, they can get enough stops, maybe force some turnovers. When he gets pressured, he also turns the ball over a little more. We've seen that over the last couple of years. So I think that's USC's opportunity to stay in this game, potentially win this game. Other side of the ball, I mean, I do think I think USC's going to score. Washington's pass defense is, I think, its weakness. I, As I said before, I don't think Oregon did a good job trying to exploit that weakness at all. USC obviously is going to do that. Now, what USC should do is run the ball more because USC is really good at running the football. They just don't do it enough. They're one of the better running teams in this conference and actually a really darn good running team in the nation. They just don't use it enough. So I think, and that's, again, an area where Washington could be had. I mean, Oregon put up over 200 rush yards. We saw Stanford run the ball effectively on them last week as well. Like, you USC can get a lot in the running game. So I think if they can be balanced in this game, not just go, not just attack Washington through the air, but also through the ground, I think that can be a real key for them as well. This is a three and a half point spread in favor of Washington. I've picked USC to cover for like seven straight weeks, and they have let me down for like seven straight weeks. But what the hell? I'm going to roll with them one more time. <laughs> Go Trojans! Uh, I'm going to pick Trojan. I'm going to pick USC to again. I don't know if they win this game, but I I could definitely see it being inside a field goal. In which case, then I'm picking USC because it's a three and a half point spread in favor of USC, and I'm going to roll with them here. All right, let's move over. Arizona State at Utah. Utah's an 11 point home favorite. I like Utah to win this game, bounce back from the Oregon game. I do think they got some fight in them. We know they're well coached. We know they've got pride. They're going to win this game. 11 is a lot. I know Arizona State's record is bad, but watch the way they've been playing. Watch the way they've been playing. They went up to Washington State, beat them. They played really strong against um, against Washington a couple weeks ago. They've played other teams tough. Like they're uh, they're playing good football. They just don't have weapons. So. I, and especially on defense, Arizona State's defense has been good. So I think Oregon, Arizona State's defense being pretty good combined with Utah's offense not being very good, I think this is a low-scoring game. I think it's a really low-scoring game. And what happens in a low-scoring game, it's hard to cover 11 points. Like the over-under the over -under on this one is 41.5. I think I would pound the under here because this game feels like 17-10 or 17-13 or 20 to. 13 or something like that. So I like Utah to win. I like Arizona State to cover the spread. All right, Oregon State on the road at Colorado. Colorado, four and four, fighting for their uh, their uh, bowl lives here. And you know they lost to UCLA last week, kind of on a skid right now. Oregon State obviously dropped the the game in the desert to Arizona last week. They need to get back on there. They have to win this game if they want to keep in line for Vegas, right? Oregon State can win out. They've got to they've got games left, right? They've got Oregon, they've got Washington left. So Oregon State controls their own destiny to get to Vegas, right? If they win out, they're going to be in Vegas. They're going to have those two wins against uh, Oregon and Washington. But they got to start here. They got to win this game, or that's all out the window because they'll have their third conference loss if they don't. And I don't think a six and three team is getting into Vegas. So 
13 and a half points though. 13 and a half. It's a lot. It's although Colorado's been falling apart. This one's the toughest pick for me this week in the Pac-12 because I feel like Oregon State's definitely the better team. It is on the road. I feel like Colorado can do some things offensively against Oregon State. Not maybe not enough to win, but maybe enough at home to keep it a little under the line. I'm going to go with Colorado to cover here. Again, Oregon State wins. Colorado covers at home. UCLA on the road to Arizona. Two and a half point road favorite for UCLA. This one also is an interesting game. So UCLA's defense, really good. Arizona's offense, eh, they're okay. They're not bad. Arizona's defense is playing good. UCLA's offense, eh, okay. So again, this over-under on this one's 51. I don't know. That feels about right to me. I think Arizona wins this one at home, though. I think Arizona's on a roll right now. I think they know who they are. UCLA's got a little bit of trying to figure out who they are on offense. Dante Moore throws interceptions. Guess what? So does so does Garbers. I just don't think they quite have it figured out offensively. I think Arizona can do enough defensively to slow them down, win this game by a field goal. They're at home. I'm going to pick them to win and cover the two and a half. I guess they get the two and a half. So I'm going to pick them to win plus the two and a half there. Finally, uh, worst game of the week in the conference, Stanford on the road at Washington State. Losers of four in a row. Washington State seems like a team that is falling apart. All kinds of rumors about their coach leaving to take the Michigan State job. All kinds of rumors about their players openly talking about entering the portal and who's going to end up where. Obviously, they don't know what conference they're going to be playing in last year. I just feel like this is a team that is actively quitting in real time as we watch. And I'm not quitting, but falling apart through outside and inside noise both. So they're a 13-point home favorite against Stanford. Now, Stanford is not a good football team, but they are fighting. They are playing. They are at least playing together. You know, they've put up a fight against Washington last week. They put up a fight the week before. Like, they're, they're a team that's – they beat Colorado the week before, right? They're a team that's actually trying. They're playing hard. They're playing together. I like Stanford in this one. I think Washington State is just reeling right now, and I think that continues. Again, I, I don't know if Stanford wins – but they're, they're going to get 13 points. I'm going to take them. I'm going to take Stanford plus 13 in this game um, all week and not really think about it. So I like that one here. All right, let's move over to the national games now. LSU at Alabama. LSU is a three-point road dog game of the week, probably in the country here. The winner of this game has the inside track on getting to the SEC title game. If you're Alabama and you win, you stay alive for the playoff race. If you're LSU and you win – Maybe you stay alive for the playoff race, but you certainly knock Alabama out and you put yourself in that pole position to get to the SEC title game and potentially win the SEC. Huge game. Everything's on the line. LSU has the offensive firepower. Their defense can't stop me. Um, Alabama defensively has been pretty good this year, offensively up and down, but it seems like lately they've been starting to click, starting to figure some things out. I'm going with Bama here. They're they're at home. They're giving up three. Backs against the wall. Everything on the line. I'm taking Nick in this game over Brian any day of the week. So I'm going to roll with the tide in this one. Uh, the, the next game of the week in the SEC, another huge one. Missouri going to Georgia. Again, this is a game where, surprisingly to most, many, including myself, this is a game that kind of puts – the SEC East on the line because Missouri only has one conference loss. Obviously, Georgia's undefeated. 
if Missouri wins this game, they win out. They're in the SEC title game, and Georgia's staying home. It's a huge game here. Missouri's been playing really well this year. Their offense, they've got those receivers. They're throwing the ball around, play pretty good defense. But they're going to Georgia between the hedges. Georgia's a team that feels like they're starting to figure out some things this year, even with Brock Bowers down. Start, they rolled Florida last week. I think they're going to roll here again. They're giving up 15 and a half. I don't care. I'm laying the 15 and a half. Georgia will win going away. They're going to cover this one and they're going to say, hey, we're still Georgia. So I'm taking Georgia, laying the points. All right. Uh, one more SEC game Texas AM going to Ole Miss. Another big game here. Ole Miss playoff hunt. They only got one loss. They can win out, they can make the playoffs. So big game for them at home, laying three points. Texas A&M already have three losses on the year. This is a game where, you, you know, A&M's a more talented team. That hasn't mattered a lot for A&M over the last five years over the Jimbo era, right? They lose a lot of games as a more talented team. And I do think this is another one they're going to lose as a more talented team. Lane Kiffin, Ole Miss, gets it done, keeps their hopes alive for the SEC title, for the playoffs. They're going to win. They're going to cover hosting Texas A&M. All right, let's move over to the Big 12. Two enormous games in the Big 12. There's an opportunity here for the Big 12 race to basically get ended if Texas and Oklahoma win this week or to be wide freaking open if they both lose this week. Uh, there's a ton on the line in these two games. So first, we'll go to Texas. They are hosting Kansas State. Texas is a four-point favorite in this one. Again, Kansas State is right there in the thick of it. They only got one loss. They're in the thick of it for the Big 12. They're in the thick of it for maybe backdooring their way into the into playoff consideration. But it starts with this Texas game. If they win here, now this this Big 12 title race wide open. You know, it puts them in the driver's seat, puts Texas kind of behind the eight ball. Uh, and I think they're going to do that. I think Texas, without Quinn Ewers, Malik Murphy's, I don't, you know, he's, he's mistake prone. I don't think he hasn't played a lot of games. He looks a little shaky in the passing game. Kansas State, really good. They're running back. Can't remember his name. The guy's incredible. He's probably the least... The the most the most explosive, dynamic, um, unheralded player, really good player that nobody's talking about. It's just starting to get some notice here the last the last few weeks. But he's an incredible player. Kansas State's a fun team to watch. I think they're a team that I mean, obviously they won the Big Twelve last year. Everybody kind of forgets that. They all think about TCU, but Kansas State actually beat TCU in the Big Twelve title game. They won that game. They're still. Right in contention again. They're six. Sorry, they're six and two on the year, so they're not in a playoff race, but they're definitely in the Big Twelve title race, right? I think everyone kind of wrote, uh, wrote them off early. They lost to Missouri again. Missouri, we talked about really good team. Kansas State lost to them by three at Missouri. This is a good football team, and they lost a close one at Oklahoma State as well. This Kansas State team is dangerous. They're really good. Their um, Will Howard is a, is an obviously an experienced quarterback, pretty competent. Um, throws too many interceptions. Got to avoid that here, um, but they can uh, they can do some damage there. All right, uh, Kansas State. I like them to win at Texas outright, plus the four. Maybe it's a field goal game and they lose, but I like. I'm picking them to win. I'm picking them here as well. Maybe I'm just rooting for the pat, the Big Twelve chaos theory a little bit too much in this one. And finally, we will flip over now and talk about Oklahoma at Oklahoma State Bedlam. This one is crazy. This is the last Bedlam game, right? These are bitter rivals. They're splitting conferences after this year, and they may never play this game again. And Oklahoma State is pissed. 
and their players and their coach are all like, this is a big deal. This game is a big deal. Um, and they're, and they're, they're treating this like their Super Bowl. Of course, Oklahoma. Oh, it's just another game, you know, next one up, whatever. So one of them, you know, treats us like a rivalry game. The other one's not really talking about it that way, but this will be, this game will be very heated, uh, very heated indeed. So Oklahoma state is the home in this one, but they are a six point underdog. Oklahoma is a six point road favorite. And, Ollie Gordon, that's actually the running back that I was talking about before with Kansas State for some dumb reason. It's not Kansas State. It's Oklahoma State. This dude's got 1,000 yards, almost 1,100 yards on the season, 7.7 yards per carry, which is insane average, 10 touchdowns. Um, he's just been rolling through everybody of late. Uh, let's see here. The last game he played last week, he ran for 271 yards against Cincinnati. The week before, he ran for 282 yards against Kansas. Um, Yeah, he's on a tear. So uh, 550 yards and six touchdowns the last two weeks combined for Ollie Garden from Oklahoma State. And I think that's going to continue. I think he's going to continue running. I like the Cowboys to win this one at home in a very nasty, very heated game. They're going to take out Oklahoma we're going to end up with a bunch of two loss teams in the big 12. It's going to be insane finish. We don't know who's going to win that conference. None of them are going to make the playoffs, but it's going to be fun. So that's my prediction there. Okay. Let's jump over and uh, take some listener questions. Let me jump over to scoop Dick real quick. Cause I put him up there. Okay. Quack fanatic asks, as we approach the end of the regular season, what areas on offense and defense still concern you and can they be corrected? Okay, let's start with offense. Um, For me, the one thing on offense, we didn't see it this last week against Utah, but it's been a theme for most of the last two seasons is kind of that red zone, red zone execution, right? Um, Red zone touchdown execution, particularly. Uh, Particularly in the low red zone, you get inside the, between the 15 and the five, I think we're really good when you get inside the five. I think we're really good, you know, from the 15 to 30. I think when you get in that five to 15 range, that's when I feel like we bogged down a little bit too much. So that's an area on offense I'd like to see us get a little bit better. I think what we saw at Utah, kind of exploiting the middle of the field more in the passing game, some deep ends, slants, those kind of Texas routes we had the running backs doing. I'd like to see a little bit more of that. I'd like to see that continue. So that was encouraging. Let's see if it continues. Um, defensively, I mean, we're thin at safety, right? We basically have three safeties. They never come out of the game. So – you know, you'd want, want to stay healthy there. I think that, you know, some of our safeties are susceptible in the passing game, right? Um, if they get matched up in one-on-one situations, not that they're out of position, not that they're bad players. They're just, they're just maybe not at the, the, the right amount of athleticism or speed to keep pace in certain scenarios like there. There's nothing really you can do about that, obviously. So you just got to hide it. You got to mask it. Um, defensively, I mean, I think this defense is playing really well. Like, I mean, obviously, they'd like to have the number one defense in the country, but, I mean, you know, I think this defense is pretty much what it can be right now. I don't – the areas of concern, I think, are just things that you can't correct through the rest of the season, right? They just require getting different players in the future, right? I think Justin Jacobs coming back is really keying, I think – even in even as well as I think our linebackers have improved from week one to week ten now, I think him coming back has improved them even that much more. So, um, 
you know, like to see that continue to go, um, to continue to roll. So uh, turnovers was something where I, you know, complained before last week that we don't have a lot of them this year. And then we got two. So I like that. We get some more turnovers. That'd be one thing. All right. Next question. Also from quack fanatic recruiting is on fire, but it seems we haven't landed that game changer at safety. Huh? Funny. I was just talking about it. Does Sione, well, Lilia have the skill set to play safety or should we pursue a star in the portal? Um, I'd have to defer to QB about Sione. I don't know if he's a, a safety, a, a guy who can play safety. Now we have recruited some safeties over the last couple of cycles that aren't playing this year. Doesn't mean they won't be ready next year. Doesn't mean uh, a guy like Aaron Flowers can't come in as a true freshman next year and play right away. He's really good. Uh, you know, obviously we've got we got a couple of safeties that we've Tyler Turner, Cody DeCamera, guys like that. Maybe they're ready to be, to play next year and be. Are they game changers? Are they like Peyton Bowens? Probably not. Are they guys that can maybe be upgrades physically over some of the guys that are playing now? Yeah, quite possibly. Quite possibly. Doesn't mean they're they're going to have that experience right away, right? They're they're going to you know need some more development, more time on the field. Um, I would say safety, and I've said this: if safety is one of the positions that I would pursue most in the portal, right? Much like we did this year, right? We brought in Taishin, we brought in Evan Williams. These guys have made a big difference at safety for us this year. We would not be in the position we're in without having bring those guys in. So I think that's a position I would definitely look at in the portal if I was Oregon this offseason. All right. Um, Doug, what is your favorite flavor of boxed wines? Thank you, DD99. Um, that's from the last show. I don't drink boxed wine. I don't think I've ever had boxed wine. So I don't have a favorite flavor because boxed wine has got to be disgusting. Uh, I don't know why QB said that. He's nuts. Yeah. Uh, and he's not here to defend himself. So, yeah, QB's just wrong, as always. Um, Lukey Ridd asks, portal quarterback for next year. Who is your realistic guess? What is your pie in the sky hope? Okay. Well, uh, at a realistic guess, I don't know, right? Like, um, I know we've seen – there's three names that have been thrown out of late. Uh, Cam Ward uh, from Washington State. Is that realistic? I don't know. I do think that – he could be a guy with all his experience with this system, with our offensive line, with our weapons, with the system we run. I think he could be very effective here. Now, is that Oregon's number one target? Is that what would be number one choices? Probably not, but you could do a lot worse. Uh, another one, obviously Dante Moore, having got him benched in UCLA, kind of seeming like maybe that's not a great fit for Chip. Is he a guy that looks to portal this year? If so, you know, obviously he had committed to Oregon originally. Is that somebody you get involved in? Obviously the talent's there. You got to kick those tires. Is that realistic? I don't know. Is that pie in the sky hope? I don't know. One of the things I've said is I'd like to have a guy who's got a lot of playing experience, which brings you to, um, you know, the, the guy that was rumored today, right? The the kid from Tulane, quarterback from Tulane. There was a rumor out today that he was going to be entering the transfer portal after this year. Um, so, that would be a guy that you would definitely take a look at, right? He's got a lot of playing time, a lot of experience, have been very successful. You kind of look at his stats, you look at what they do there. You could see he, he you could see how he could fit into the system pretty seamlessly, right? He could throw, he can run a little bit, he's got some athleticism. You know, he, he feels like somebody that could play in the system very well. Now, if he does hit the portal, he's probably a guy that's going to be in a lot of demand. So realistic, pie in the sky, is that the number one choice? I don't know. But those are three names that are out there. I mean, obviously, there's 
going to be so many more. I know Malik Murphy is another one that's been mentioned. He's getting some playing time now for Texas. So if he hits the portal, at least you're going to have some tape on him, some game tape. You're going to know what he's doing. Um, I, it's just so hard for me to, to say because we just don't really know what's available out there, what back channeling can happen, will happen between schools and different players in the portal. But I do think Oregon needs to go to the portal for a quarterback. I, I don't think anybody on the roster is the guy you probably want leading them next year, unless they know stuff internally that we don't know. But I think you got to bring someone in to at least uh, compete with them. All right. Uh, next one. Nick seems to be struggling with progressing past his first read. Oftentimes showed up in a big moments against UW. It was noticeable in the two in the second quarter, three and outs against Utah. Is this a real issue or are the issues more casual fans like myself aren't understanding about those plays? Uh, you know, if QB was here, I think he'd probably have more nuance to add to this. Um, I don't think it's necessarily a first read thing. I mean, I, he does progress past his first read a, a lot more than people probably think. I think one of the things about nitpicking any player when you're watching a game or you're watching film or nitpicking play calls, right, is you always tend to remember the things that didn't work, right? And I'm guilty of this. We're, I think it's just human nature, right? You remember that play, you watch that play that failed, and you think, what went wrong? Oh, uh, you didn't look past his first read. But you don't necessarily think about all the plays that were successful and go back and look at all those on film and diagnose those and say, oh, Look at that. He went to his third read. He went to a second read. He was on his fourth read. Like, you know, how many times in a game does he do that successfully? And you don't even think about it, right? You, 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 everyone focuses on the failures more so than the successes. So I don't think it's necessarily a, a read, you know, first read, second read, third thing. Now, I do think there, there are times where in that UW game, was, I think it's more, I don't think it's more of a read thing. It seems like in that UW game, like he just short armed some throws. He just missed some throws pretty badly, you know? Um, and I, I think that's more of at times what I, you know, he plays a little kind of amped up, um, especially early in games. He didn't do that at Utah, uh, but in some of the past games he's had that. So I mean, look, Bo, Bo's incredible. Bo is what he is. He's a great player. I think at this point he's five years into his career. He started more games than any quarterback in college football history. Like you're not just going to fix whatever, whatever, whatever struggles he has aren't going to get fixed. This he's a finished product in college at this point. So I, I think there's a lot more good than bad. I think it's easy to nitpick any player. Plenty to nitpick about Caleb. Plenty to nitpick about Kate Drake May. Plenty to nitpick about Michael Penix. They all have their flaws, and so does Bo. But he's playing really high level football, and I think he's got to. You got to roll with your dude. All right. Kiko Alonso. What's one area of concern that could keep us from winning the league? I mean, obviously, you know, you, you, the margin for error is thin, right? So you, you drop one game, you might not even be in the league championship game. That's a thin margin of error. You still got tough games left. You got, you know, you got Cal and Arizona State, obviously, but you got USC at home. You got Oregon State at home. Those are teams that could beat you if you don't bring your A game, if you turn the ball over, if you're not playing your best, um, especially USC. They got a lot of dangerous weapons. So if USC is able to exploit those weapons, if Caleb is able to just be like have a nutso Caleb game, yeah, that's my biggest concern to winning this league. That game, that player is by far my biggest concern to what could keep Oregon from winning the league. I'm not that concerned about any more than you normally would be about Cal or Arizona State. Look, I know in Scoop Duck, Justin posted something the other day about, you know, listing the remaining four teams in your biggest area of concern. 
And I know a lot of people have Arizona State number one or number two, and they have USC as third and their teams of concern. You're nuts. You're all nuts. There's only USC is the number one most concerning team left on our schedule. And if you're not saying that, I I just you're nuts. I'm sorry. Like it's not Arizona State. It's not. I don't care that it's on the road in Arizona. It's Arizona State. They're not a good football team. This is we're not the Oregon team of old that would just not show up for half the games every year and hope to win by a field goal. This is not that team. We're not that program. We got to put that away. Yeah, are we going to get upset and lose games down the road? Sure. Guess what? Dan's never lost to an unranked opponent at Oregon. Right? You know, we blow these teams out. Look what we've done. Look what we've done this year. We've done last year. We blow these teams out. I'm not worried about Arizona State. I'm not worried about Cal. I'm not even worried about Oregon State. Oregon State has won in Eugene one time in 30 years. Once. One time in 30 years. And now it's because we were playing our fifth-string quarterback. We are a way better football team than Oregon State. <laughs> I'm not worried about that game. If we're sitting there at the Oregon State game and we're 10-1 and one and we got the playoffs on the line and we got the league championship on the line, are you sitting here really telling me you're going to go into that game worried that Dan and this program and this team is not going to be ready to play that game at home against the Beavers after what happened last year and all those things I just said? You're really going to be worried about that game? You're nuts. The only game, the one game that you got to worry about that's going to keep Oregon from potentially winning this conference is the USC game because they have the guy who can beat you by himself. That's it. It's the only answer. Okay. Leaderboard. Is there concern with safety depth after losing Addison for the season, especially against the teams that throw a ton and have wide receiver speed like USC and a rematch with you with UW. Yeah, absolutely. I talked about this earlier. We're we're our safety depth. We have three playable guys. We're playing them all. I think if something happened and Steve or Evan were to go down, you'd move Taishim back and he'd probably play Nico Reed in the star, and you just have to roll with those three, right? So I think that's your that's your fallback. Um, because clearly they don't they don't consider anyone else in the safety room above the line right now. Uh, if they did, they'd be playing. So, yeah, I, I do think that's a concern. Um, he also asks, considering the top four to six teams that are legit CFP contenders, is our defense more suited to face them versus the stellar quarterbacks and pass-happy offenses of the pack? After watching the Utah game, this got me thinking our D might be built nicely for a legit CFP run. Well, I think there's something you're saying there that I agree with, which is, Oregon, this is what I, you know, the Washington fans don't want to hear, but they're just wrong on this one. Out of the two teams, Oregon has the trench play on both sides of the ball, the physicality to actually compete in in the playoffs. That doesn't mean I think Oregon is going to win two games against two really good teams, but they, they, they have the physicality and the trench players to compete with a Michigan or an Ohio State, a Florida State. I don't know about a Georgia, but to be competitive, to give themselves a fighting chance because of the way that they're, first of all, the way that Oregon's, to your point, your defense is constructed on the line and on the back end, and also the way that their offensive line. Oregon is probably the best, if not one of the best, balanced offenses in the country, right? It's really hard to stop Oregon because 
we're the number one efficiency running rushing offense in the country. And guess what? Our passing offense is also in the top 10. You shut down our run, we're going to throw. You shut down our pass, we're going to run. And that's really hard for people to match up against. We're not, we're not one dimensional. We're all dimensional. And that's why this team is built better than Washington to play against the big boys. Doesn't mean we're going to win. Doesn't mean we're going to roll. Right. But I think you're right. I think there is onto something that, that there is, it is a team that could be, you know, if you we went toe to toe with Michigan, do you think you just like don't have a chance in that game? Michigan is a physical team, physical defense, physical offensive line. Guess what? So was Oregon. That game could be a real battle. Um, you know, Ohio State, Ohio State's defense, really good. Their offense, not very dynamic, not very explosive, right? You got to, obviously, you got to watch Harrison, Abuka, when he's healthy. But that's not a team. Their quarterback is not a guy who's, he's not C.J. Stroud. I'm close to C.J. Stroud, right? So that is a game that you can be, look, if you can be competitive in a game and you can make it a one-possession game, then anybody can win. Anybody can win a one-possession game, right? That's all you're looking for in these playoff situations. Can you get to the fourth quarter? and have a one-possession game, then you can win. All right, great question. All right, next one up. Uh, Let's flip over. I think I had a few on Twitter, so we'll go there, and then we will call it a night. Okay, Brian Abbey asks, which players have been the best, the biggest surprise this season? Could be a freshman contributing earlier than expected or a sophomore to senior who developed better than expected. (laughs) <clears throat> this is a great question. Which ones have been the biggest surprises? I mean, you got to go with Poncho on the offensive line, right? True freshman, splitting time at guard, backup centers, played left guard as well. Ben, ben you know, holding his own in all of those positions. So you, you got to think Poncho there along the offensive line. Not really surprised probably by anyone else offensively. I think we all knew what we had at those positions. Um, They've all contributed really well. I'm not saying I'm surprised by JPJ playing as well as he have, but being surprised by him being like a legitimate All-American and Remington Award winner and that, I knew he was going to play well. I I don't know that he was going to be playing at that level as a first, you know, his first year as a full-time starter. But uh, again, not surprised in his performance, but but maybe surprised by by how just how high it's been defensively. I mean, you got to look at the three freshman edges, right? I mean, they've all had their moments. Tatum Teodi, Mateo, Uyongolele, and, um, and Blake Purchase, right? They've all had their moments. I think at the beginning of the year, we said, Hey, we need at least one, maybe two of these guys to step up and be guys that you can play guys that can make an impact. They all have. They all have at times. I mean, obviously, Mateo has been consistent, you know, day one, day two. I, the biggest surprise with me watching him is what he's doing in the run game. I, I, you know, I don't think any of us are surprised that he he has pass rush ability and pass rush moves. I think we all thought he might be a year or two away from being an effective um, edge setter in the run game. And I think that um, I think that is a little bit of a surprise how quickly he's come along there. Um, and obviously sky's the limit Blake purchase of late has really come on and, and he's been dominant at times. Um, Bassa bosses seems like he's kind of found his element this year in this defense. He's just bigger, stronger, faster, seems more comfortable, seems more instinctive um, in year three as a linebacker. So that's been a, a pleasant surprise. Steve Stevens, 
I mean, that's a guy, look, we've, we've been kind of harsh on him over the years. He's a guy that's, you know, he's year five kind of always felt like you don't really want to see him on the field this year. You don't feel that way. Like it is, I mean, this guy's not an all American. He's not, you know, he's not Javon Holland. who was always, always will be compared to because they came in in the same class together, but I mean, he's not a liability out there. He's giving you quality snaps every almost now. He's playing almost every snap, right? And he's not. He's you don't you don't look like oh no, that's the guy. Find Steve Stevens. He's going to get picked on. No, yeah, it hasn't. He's playing really well. He's played good football. He's always in the right place. He's making the tackle. He's making plays on the ball. He's he's you know coverage has been fine, like good. Like it's that's been a nice surprise. Um. That's probably it. That's probably the ones I would name there that I would uh, I would think of. Couple more. One more question. George um, Steam Colk asked question for next pod. Do you or QB eleven have any book or video recommendations on learning football more in depth stuff like formations, how different positions are supposed to play, offensive defensive schemes? Looking to take the next step as a fan and better understand your discussion and Hithliday's film analysis. George, this is a great question. Um, I, I'll, I'll confer with QB and maybe Hithliday as well, and we'll come up with some – there's probably some great online resources for this now. I mean, you know, I'm certainly old, so I can remember reading a lot of these strategy books like years ago when I was much younger. Um, person probably all way outdated now. But I'm sure there's some online resources, some online YouTube videos. There's probably some good books out there as well. So we'll we'll uh, we'll confer on this and we'll post it on our Twitter account for you. So this is a great question, George. So I think that's all the questions we have. And um, I'm sorry you've had to listen to me, Doug Scott, talk by myself for an hour and twenty minutes um, previewing this episode. QB is apologetic. He just had too much work going on this week and was not able to make it to record tonight. So he sends his regards. He will be back for the, uh, the post game podcast on Monday, of course, and we'll break all this down. And uh, I'm really so glad you listened. I appreciate all of you follow us at QB 11 show on Twitter at Douglas TS at QB 11 SD. Yeah. We still love you QB, even though you're not here, we'll catch you on the flip side.